titled God Is. We're beginning each sermon with a story, a story from the life of our church about the character of God. And so I want to ask you to welcome up Jefferson as he comes up to deliver his story this evening. If you guys will. Thanks, thanks. I appreciate you. Hey, what's up, everybody? How are you doing today? Okay, you're not doing anything today. <laughs> Anyways, guys, my name is Jefferson, and today, uh, man, I get the honor and privilege to share my story with you. And two things, I wanted to, one, thank uh, Tommy and Carter for allowing me to do this, and two, man, I hope this encourages you. You know, writing down my story, reliving it, I was like, man, God is provider. Huge. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you know why. So over the last 11 years, I know I'm, I'm like really young. You're like, you're a kid. You don't know anything. I was like, okay, hold on. <laughs> uh, God has allowed me to experience a lot of things. And so before my life with Christ started, we lived an average life. You know, my family, they moved over from Venezuela to here, and we had a house. We, they made good money, and you could say we were living a good life. We had food on the table. Everything was great. Man, <laughs> at the age of 14, I, man, I started my walk with Christ. I was invited by a friend to come to this church, and I went, and I was like, yeah, I'm ready to, we're going to hang out, it's going to be a great time. I show up, guess what? They ditched me. <laughs> they disappeared completely. Talk about a lasting first impression, you know, coming to church, and I was like, oh, I'm here with my, they're not here anymore. Cool. Well, I'm here, and we're going to have a great time. But I, I remember the day crystal clear. The pastor was talking about the God of the universe, and how he owns everything, and how he loves specifically you. And how there's nothing that you can do more or less to change the way that he feels about you. And he's like, man, this God, he loves you so much. You don't have to get anybody else's approval because, hello, the God of the universe who created everything loves you. So me, that spoke, spoke volumes to me. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. I want to do this. And he goes, check this out. God gives you a gift, each one of you, a personal gift. And it's only for you. And only you can accept it or decline it. This doesn't make your life easier, but it does make it better because God gives you peace, love, his overwhelming joy, man, the sacrifice of his son, everything, the provision of God. I don't know about you, but now at 14, uh, I, I didn't have a job or anything, but I was like, man, I don't have to get anybody else's approval. This is free. I get to live with Jesus, and this is, I want it. Okay, let me get this. Raising my hand, can I come to the altar? Thank you, Jesus. I'm ready to, you know, this is great. Moving forward, fast forward a little bit, I go through my first, one of my first tribulations. Eight months later, my family and I, we had everything, we were fine, you know, things were great, and one day we had it all, and the next day, we lost everything. We were evicted from our home, and we had to live in our car. Six months in our car, we ate a meal once a day. It's my mom, my dad, my two brothers, myself, and my little dog, and Man, I went to school. I had to go to school. I had to figure out how to print things, and I had to run. Everything was a complication. And I, I remember all the time. Anytime that I was going through this and I was in the car just thinking about, like, man, like, we don't have a house. I don't have any place to sleep. What am I going to do? My family and I, we would pray, and we would ask God to provide a meal for us, to provide protection for us. And God answered prayer every single day time. He never failed. When we asked for specific things, we're like, God, I don't care if we have to share one meal and it's one plate, but it's like two pieces of chicken, mashed potatoes or anything, we'll take it. 
10, 10, 15 minutes later, the exact same thing we asked for, it just comes out of nowhere. Hey, we have this. Would you like it? And I'm like, well, how did you? All right, sure. We'll take it. Why not? God provided for every little thing. You know, two scriptures come to mind when I was going through this. James 1, 2 through 4, which talks about persevering and growth. And Philippians 4, 10 through 13, which talks about the secret of being content when you have it all and when you have nothing at all. And how God provides for every single thing in your life. During my time being homeless, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't easy. We had nothing more than to rely on Jesus for every single thing we had asked for, you know. It just blows my mind that we have the God of the universe, who owns everything, by the way, lives in you, loves you. You are his child, his son, his daughter. He doesn't want to see you go through anything crazy like that. He doesn't want to see you hungry. And I would ask for God like, to do crazy things. I'd be like, God, provide for me something. I'm really hungry. We wouldn't eat on the weekends, by the way. And God would do it, boom, instant. Or, God, I'm super hungry. I have to take this exam in two minutes. And it's distracting me because I have a headache from not eating over the weekend. Take it away. Boom. Take it away. God provides for everything. After that, God took us out of homelessness. Homelessness six months later. You know, he provided somebody. We were in our car just like freaking out like, God, we can't do this anymore. Six months, we understand that you are gracious, you're loving, we, you take care of our needs, but this is hard. We prayed for specific things. Just take us out of this right now. We can't do this. Amen. Boom. Phone call. Random person, never known in my life. Who was this person? I don't know about you, but God just told me I need to give you this thing so that we can help you out of your circumstance. Meet me at the police station. No idea who this person is at all. We meet him, and they help us out of this homelessness situation. God is provider over all things. I'm not going to lie to you. Aside from that, in college, God provided for my needs spiritually. God provided for my needs financially and everything else like that as well, you know. Anytime I had a need spiritually, God provided me a community that would be there for me. Anytime I needed something with my family and I, where we struggle, let me tell you, the struggle's there, but God is with us the whole way through. He walks us through each little thing that we go through. And even post-grad, I graduated after that, and I graduated after college, and God still provides everything we need. And I can tell you that I'm a living testimony of that, because not because I, I can do anything. No, because God is provider over all things. Does God take away my issues and make me rich? Definitely not, you know. <laughs> Does it bother me? No. Why? I, I want to read to you this passage. Philippians 4, 12 and 13. It says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. God provides. This is my story. Thank you. Awesome story. Um, as you know, this series of sermons that uh, we've been going through is a series of sermons that you had an opportunity to participate with us. This is the first time in our church's history that we've done that. Uh, during the month of December, we asked this question, what has God taught you in 2018? And, uh, you know, people have said, uh, God has taught me that he is faithful. Others have said, God has taught me that he is loving and forgiving. And last week we talked about this and Tonight we're talking about God as a provider. And, and so here's the, here's the big idea of, of the sermon tonight, right? 
Uh, you need provision if you are to experience God's provision, all right? You need provision in order to experience or if you're to experience God's provision. Now, I know this is cheesy. It's a cheesy big idea, but I wanted this to stay with you tonight. And, you know, you, know, you have to do something catchy for it to stay with people. Um, because this whole topic of provision is a matter of perspective. It's a matter of perspective. Um, how many of you guys have uh, heard or read um, the, um, that poem, Footprints in the Sand? If you haven't, you know, probably maybe a third of the room has, uh, has heard or read that poem. But, you know, it, we don't know who wrote this poem. It came out in the 40s. Uh, this is this is this 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 uh, this guy tells his experience with God. You know, he uh, he uh, has this dream that he is with God, and, and and his life obviously is flashing before his eyes. And you know, he he thinks about these uh, important and key moments in his life. And and when he looks at the sand, he he's supposed to be walking with God on this beach, and he looks at the sand, he sees two sets of footprints. And then it comes sort of like the last scene of his life, and as that scene is flashing. And he looks at the sand. He only sees one set of footprints. And he, he goes back to God and he says, God, what's up? I thought that we were walking together. Those moments, you know, they were very difficult moments in my life. Was I, when I was going through those moments, was I going through those moments alone? And God says, no, my son, I was holding you in my arms. Those are my footprints. See, it's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of vision. You know, we're taught in this culture that we ought to make things happen. That's what we're told by people. You know, you got to make things happen. Some of you uh, have achieved a certain level of success in life, maybe relationally or professionally. And uh, you say to yourself, man, I worked hard. I made the right decisions. I made it happen. That's one way to see it. But that's a superficial way of seeing it. If you look back far enough, you see that, yes, you've made good decisions. Yes, you've worked hard. Yes, you went to school, and you didn't drop out of school. But you were born in a family that had given you opportunities to go to school. You were born in a country and in a time that you had opportunities that other people that were born in other times and other countries and other families did not have. And so, see, if you look far enough you cannot just say that you are a byproduct of all your decisions and your hard work. And besides, the people that live with this idea of God's provision, it's a good thing to live your life knowing that you are dependent on God, that he is the one that feeds you and clothes you and cares for every single need of yours. You know why? Because people that live with provision in mind, with the provision of God in mind, Right, who are able to see. It's a matter of, 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 of perspective. People who have this pro-vision, not an amateur vision of God, okay, they live better because they're less anxious, they're less stressed out because they know they don't need to constantly depend on themselves. They can depend on the creator God of the universe so they can live relaxed. They might not understand what's happening, what's going on. They don't know if the bread of tomorrow is going to be on the table tomorrow, but they can relax because they know that God provides. So they live better. But on top of that, you know, people that live with this perspective, they live grateful. And th th now, there have been books written by people that teach at Harvard and Yale that those who live grateful lives, right, because they know they have received, they, they're more successful, actually. 
You know, we have this misunderstanding that happiness and contentment and fulfillment is that which we find at the end of a lot of hard work. We get success and we are now fulfilled and happy and content. And science is now saying that success is a byproduct of happiness and contentment and gratitude. And then we have this story in front of us here today. This is a gut-wrenching story if you were paying attention at the text that uh, was read to us. This is a story that teaches us about God's provision, God's providence over our lives. And if you are to have this provision, not this amateur vision of God, you will experience God's provision. You know, what does this provision that I'm talking about consist of? There's three things. You have to have an accurate view of your heart. You have to see the beauty of God's heart. And you have to be able to see your story in his story. Let's look at all these three briefly. First, you must have an accurate view of your heart. Shall we deal with the problem of this text? As you know, in verses 1 and 2, God asks Abraham to give up his son. Now, let me backtrack and uh, just revisit with you the story of Abraham. At one point, Abraham was living in a life of comfort with his father in a faraway country. And God shows up to Abraham and says, I want you to leave all your comforts behind, your family behind. I want you to follow me. Abraham leaves and he follows God. And God shows up to Abraham a second time and he says, Abraham, I want you to believe in this miracle that I'm going to do through you. I'm going to give you a son. Now, here's the problem. Abraham's already in his mid-80s with his wife, who's also in her mid-80s. And he says, how are you going to bless me by giving me a son? I'm in my mid-80s. I mean, there's no Viagra at the time. Viagra at the time. There's no modern science, you know, uh, in vitro fertilization. That stuff doesn't exist. And God says, I just want you to believe me. And in fact, God does. In his 90s, give him this son. And now God shows up a third time and says, hey, I want you to offer up your son. Now, now I want you to understand this because it's right there uh, in verse 1. The very first thing that we read is, after these things, God tested Abraham. This is a test. Now, think about this. This is not a test for God. God is not trying to see whether he can trust Abraham with this big vision and this big plan or not. God knows. God is sovereign. He knows all things. He's all-powerful. This is not for God to know. God knows Abraham. God knows his heart. God made Abraham, and God went after Abraham. God was in covenant with Abraham. God knew Abraham. This test is for Abraham. God is testing Abraham, not for his sake, but testing Abraham for Abraham's sake. God wants Abraham to be self-aware. See, one of the greatest gifts that anyone can have in this life is to be self-aware. Are you aware that there's so many people around you that are unaware of the things that they say and unaware of the things that they do? They think that they're it, but they're just like flat out annoying, right? They're unaware of how rude they are. They're unaware how ungrateful they are. The greatest gift that you can receive, and counselors actually help you to be a little bit more aware of yourself, but it's actually to be aware 
of yourself. And God wants Abraham to be aware of himself because unless you're aware of yourself, you can't grow spiritually. You can't go anywhere. You can't go on a foot journey, but you cannot go on a life journey. You hear what I'm saying? So God wants Abraham to be aware of his own heart. God wants Abraham to see his own heart in this whole relationship. And what God is asking Abraham, the crucial question here in this story is, Abraham, what is the source of your provision? What is the source of your provision? See, God is not asking Abraham to murder his son. God does not accept, actually, worship that involves human sacrifice. There are other passages in the Bible that God condemns human sacrifice. And therefore, the language that God uses to speak to Abraham, I want you to offer up your sins. It's a language of worship. God is trying to get to the heart of Abraham's heart. Because in every single heart of us here tonight, there are altars that we build for Isaac figures in our lives. There are gods that we worship, that we sacrifice to, that are not the true God. And we're talking about idolatry right now, by the way. And idols are not bad things. Children are not bad things. Work is not a bad thing. Image is not a bad thing. Family is not a bad thing. But when you take a good thing and you turn it into an ultimate thing, it has become a false god in your life, and you have constructed altars in your heart for these things. And that's maybe the issue with Abraham. Because this story is here in the Bible. In fact, look look at verse 2. Look at the language. He says, take your only son as Isaac, your only son. Now, Abraham had had another son, a son by the name of Ishmael, because Abraham did not trust in God's provision at some point. And every time you decide not to trust in God's provision, you take matters into your own hands, you end up screwing things up. So he has his son with his maid, and now... That son cannot live with him. God says, you got to send him away. So Ishmael has left with his mom. Isaac is the only son that he has. And the text goes on and tells us that it is the son that you love, that you truly love. Isaac had become the center of Abraham's affection. He was the source of his provision, not only emotionally, but socially as well. Isaac was or had become Abraham's social capital. Because in that culture, if you could not perpetuate the family through descendants, you were a failure. You had no place in your community. God had finally redeemed Abraham's story by giving him a son who would not only provide him with descendants, but bless all the nations of the earth through him. That was in the front head of his life. He felt blessed and honored, and he loved that son to death. But God is asking now to Abraham, Abraham, it started with me and you, this story and this relationship. Has Isaac taken my place? Has he become your source of provision, emotional, social? Is he where you find value and meaning in life? Is it no longer me? And then the follow-up question is, Abraham, is your source of provision a reliable source of provision? You must ask yourself that first question. What is your ultimate source of provision in your life? What do you look to for significance and meaning? 
And then you must ask the second question, which is something that Abraham has to wrestle and deal with. Is your source of provision a reliable source of provision? And I want to tell you, Everything that has a lifespan is not a reliable source of provision. Therefore, nothing in this world is a reliable source of provision for you. Because you will not have your image, your good image that gets you jobs forever. You are fighting against the law of gravity. Tomorrow you're going to look into a mirror and say, oh, look, is this a new wrinkle? You know what? The next day she will come back with her friends, okay? That is the fact of the matter. You are losing that. You are losing your intelligence. It can be taken away from you. Your smarts. There are diseases that take away. There are accidents. You can leave here today. You can be hit by a car and be on a hospital bed, intubated for a long period of time. You can lose your memory. You can lose anything. You can lose your family. Oh, yeah, but I have this great spouse. It will always be there for me one day. No matter how good of a spouse you have, one of you will have to look down at a coffin. Not even your good family will stay with you forever. Therefore, your career, your finances, your looks, your smarts, your diplomas, your family name can be taken away from you. And many people have had these things taken away from them. And where will you be if that is your source of provision? You will be lost, empty, and the poorest of all human beings. And so what God is asking of Abraham is what he is asking of each one of us all the time that we decide to walk and have a relationship with him. He's saying, are you willing to take that which is in your heart and put it on my altar? Are you willing to do that? See, God is not asking you or he doesn't want to destroy that which you love in your life. But he's saying, is that thing more important than me? Would you be willing to put that which is most important to you, that you have constructed altars for into my altar. Will you be willing to live your life as a living sacrifice to me? By the way, we're commanded by the Apostle Paul in, in the book of Romans to live as living sacrifices to God. Your life is precious to God. Isaac's life is precious to God as it was precious to Abraham. Even more precious to God than Abraham himself. But here's the crooks of the test. What's in your heart? What's your source of provision? Is it a reliable one? And are you willing to offer it up to God? And unless, listen, unless you're willing to offer up that which you hold most dear in your heart, you are not able to experience God's provision in your life. Here's how I think it works in our relationship with God. God says, okay, you're so tough you're the make it happen woman or man. All right, then go make it happen, and I'll step aside and see how that works out for you. Many of us are stressed out, burned out with life because we have said, I'm going to take matters into my own hand. I am going to provide for myself. And God says, very well, you can try that. And it's unless, unless you take that and you offer it up to God that you will not be able until then to experience God's provision in your life. He wants you to see your own heart and what's in it. Because you know what? He's honest about his heart. That's the second thing about what this provision involves. You should see and have a vision of God's beautiful heart for you. And if you were reading the passage and 
you know, you're, you're reading from verses 1 through verse 5, and it, things are going really fast. You know, Abraham, okay, surely enough, I'm here, God, and he's making provisions, and he's setting up the trek and collecting all the materials on the utensils that he's going to need for that journey. And uh, it's happening really fast, and then in verse 6, it slows down. It slows down, and it gives us a focus on uh, the conversation that happens between Isaac and Abraham. As they're going on that trek, Isaac notices that something is missing. Well, we have the wood, we have the knife, we have the fire. But dad, where is the lamb or the animal that we're supposed to sacrifice and offer up to God? And Abraham says, I don't know, I can't see it either, but God will provide. That's what he says back to his sons, and they continue to walk, and I'm sure that every step that they take after that is a harder step for them. It's more and more awkward and, and, <laughs> to Isaac and, and more worrying to Abraham because they cannot see the provision around them or in front of them. But here's one thing that Abraham can see. He can't see the provision he can't see the provision, but he can see God's heart. And, and I want to tell you this, that even when you can't see the provision, you can trust in the provision if you're able to see God's heart. Let me see that again. Even when you see the provision in front of you that you need, you can trust in the provision if you're able to see God's heart. He's able to trust that God will come through because he sees God's heart. This test, again, is not for God because God has aced every single test that he has had with Abraham. God has said, I'm going to take you to a land. He took him to the land. I'm going to give you a son. He gave him the son. And now he has this tension happening in his heart saying, God gave me the son. The son is a promise by which something big is going to be fulfilled through my son. And God is now asking me for my son. I don't know where God is taking me. I don't know where the provision's going to come from or where it's going to be, but I know my father's heart. See, Isaac is following his dad because he sees his dad's heart. If he doubted that his dad loved him or his dad had his best interest in mind, he would have said, Dad, it's been too long. I, I don't see what you're doing. I'm going back. Many of us would do that. That was happening here, right? This is crazy. I'm done. He obediently follows his father because he trusts the heart of his father for him, while Abraham is trusting the heart of his heavenly father for him. And he's trekking. And you know, there's a passage in the Bible, in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11. Listen to this. It's a passage that is a commentary to this story where the author of Hebrews is teaching about the topic of faith. And he uses the examples of many people, including the life of Abraham, in this specific moment of his life. And this is what we read in Hebrews 11, verse 17 and 19. By faith, when he was tested, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. 
he considered, listen, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You hear what he's saying? Do you see how he sees God's heart? He is waiting for the provision. It's getting closer and closer. He is five miles out. He is two miles out. He is a mile out. There is no provision. He is thinking, now I'm going to have to put my son on the altar. In fact, he puts his son on the altar, and he's willing to kill his son, but he knows it's going to be for the good because even if he strikes his son, God has the power to resurrect his son. Some of us who have been journeying with God, we're waiting for God's provision. We're looking around. God is 10 miles out. God said, keep on going. It's still 10 miles out. You're five miles out, and you're like, God, it's been five, only five miles out. Come on, you got to come through right now. He says, just keep on walking like Johnny Walker. You keep on walking. You're a mile out. You're a mile out, and you're saying, God, wait a minute. Something's wrong here. There's no provision around me. I can't see it. I'm so close to where you called me to be, and I can't see the provision. Put it on the altar. If you believe and you trust in God's provision, you know that even if that thing dies, God has the power to resurrect it again. Are you willing to let that even die so that God can resurrect it again? Because when you trust in God's provision, death is not the end. Not even death is the end of the story. And that's where Abraham challenges and teaches us. God never promises that our walk with him will be a safe one. Remember that story, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe? The children who go into Narnia through this closet, they walk into this cold land frozen by winter. And, but there's a promise of a rescuer that will come in the form of this lion by the name of Aslam who will, who will turn things around from the witch, the winter witch. And they're talking about Aslam, and they're at Mr. Beaver's house, right? And one of the kids says, wait a minute, you know, okay, so we are to trust him, trust his coming, trust him. Is he safe? What is this? An American... Millennial question, safe? God's, God is not safe. Mr. Beaver's answer is, he is not safe, but he's good. He is good. He is good, and it's worth trusting his heart. The last thing is that we should see our story into his story. God's past provision or God's past provisions give us strength to trust in his future provisions. God's past provisions give us strength to trust in his future provisions. When you're on that trek, going up the mountain, you're doubting. It's getting harder and harder, and it's getting closer and closer. You need to stop and you need to look back at God's provision because it will give you strength to trust in his future provision. What is the outline of Abraham's life? God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to leave your land and come with me. I'm going to 
take you to this place. Where is it? Just follow me. Then God shows up and he says, Abraham, I am going to give you a son, a miraculous son in your old age. Abraham says, how? He says, don't worry about it. Come with me. Now God is asking Abraham to give up his son, and Abraham is now asking why. Now think about this. What is the hardest thing that God is asking of Abraham, A, B, or C? Well, some of you don't have children, but I'll tell you this. Once you have a child, this is the hardest thing that anyone can ask of you. Even if you're a bad parent, it's hard to give up your child and answer this call from God. Even if you are a bad parent or you have a bad child, it's hard to give up your child. It's part of you. But this is what life of faith looks like, right? That's why, you know, the, the steps that we are to take are always harder than the ones before because it needs some building, See, the reason why Abraham can trust that God will fulfill C is because God has fulfilled A and B. And then he goes. He looks at his past. Oh, it was hard for me to leave. He came through. It was hard to believe in what he was saying he was going to give me, but he came through. I don't know how this is going to unfold, but because of A and B, I can trust him in C. Now, some of us have life stories that we're able to look back, just like Jefferson, that give us strength when challenges come in the near future. But some of us, man, we've had comfortable lives. We've been middle class our whole lives and lived in the suburbs of America. And our parents worked hard and took us to vacation and to Disney, and it's hard to see God's provision. And when you face problems, you're unprepared for life because you haven't suffered enough and therefore, even when you look back at your own existence and you can't see any provisions because you thought that mom and dad were the ones always provided, you can look far enough and you'll see something that a even Abraham was not able to see that will give you power and strength to trust in God's future provision. Now, now listen, Abraham takes his son to the place that God had asked him to take him, which was a place or a hill in Mount Moriah. And he is interrupted by God, and he, therefore, instead of his sons, he ends up offering a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice, at that place on Mount Moriah. And he names that place the mount that the Lord shall provide. Now, you know what's interesting? Several thousand years later, now it's God's turn. And God is the one walking up his son, the same mount, the same mount, same Mount Moriah. It's a different hill, but it's the same mount. And his son stops along the way and says, Father, I know where I'm going. Can we not do this? Son, keep on walking. And Jesus walks up a hill on Mount Moriah by the name of Calvary. And on that hill... Even though he cries out to the Father for deliverance, the sword still comes down on him. And the reason why the sword comes down on him is the same reason why the sword came down on that animal. It's so that Isaac wouldn't have to be sacrificed. The reason why that sword comes out on Jesus, down on Jesus, on Mount Calvary, in Mount Moriah, is so that we wouldn't be sacrificed and we wouldn't be eternally damned, but that we would take the place of Isaac and 
the ultimate Isaac, Jesus, in being a child of God. The reason why God will always provide for us, and he has vowed to provide for us, is because we are his children through Jesus Christ. And it's in light of that that Paul in Romans 8 says this. This is part of the passage lesson. I'm going to read it to you. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You don't know where that provision is going to come tomorrow, where it's going to come from. You don't know if, even if it's going to come but you know for sure that the God that has called you to be his child has vowed to provide for every single need of yours. The proof is what you see in Calvary. You can look at what you're hap- what's happening in your life right now and say, God, why is this happening? I may not have the answers, but it's for sure not because God does not love you. Because how can you say that God does not love you if he gave up the life of his son for you? And if he has provided for your eternal security in the salvation that happened on the cross through Jesus Christ, isn't it foolish for us to live stressed out lives because we can't pay the rent tomorrow? We don't know what's going to happen to our career later on. Isn't that foolish of us? So, have an accurate view of your heart. See the beautiful heart of God for you. And then see your story and his story. And it's all a matter of perspective. If you change your perspective, things will change. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for Jesus. And we're grateful for this reminder, this amazing reminder. That through Jesus, we find our provision. Ultimate provision. You cannot disvow us. Father, you will not abandon us nor forsake us because we, through Jesus Christ, have been made your children. If you gave up your son, how will you not provide us and give us all things? That's the lasting question that should be imprinted in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.